Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Childcare is one of the most important things in a parent's toolbox. Without it, sanity is at risk. Unfortunately, in the United States, there is an ongoing child care crisis. No matter their socioeconomic status, all parents in this country struggle to find the child care that works best for them. This is so important for me to discuss. So I'm sharing a conversation I had with journalist Gloria Riviera about it and her research. It's so interesting. Gloria has spent 20 plus years as an ABC news producer and correspondent based around the world covering breaking investigative and feature stories for the network's flagship broadcasts. And most recently, she released her podcast, No One is Coming to Save Us, which shines light on the child care crisis. We discussed what the crisis looks like today, how we got here, and what we as citizens of this country can do to help. I learned so much about what we as moms really need and what is available to us and how we can most utilize what is available to us. And I hope that you learn a lot too. So here is Gloria. I'm so excited to chat with you. Yeah, I've listened to a few of your recent podcasts, so I have a sense of what's been going on and how much you shared. I listened yeah. first to the Dr. Samantha Boardman episode, which yes. was fantastic. And yes. I love your openness and your curiosity. I think those are so key to making a successful podcast. Oh, and then I listened you. to your, I think you called it your diary. And that just, I was in tears and I can relate. And I feel like I want to say it's all going to be okay. I know. um, (laughs) It really, it will. It's, I, I feel that way too. And that's what my husband keeps telling me too. You know, I feel like I already have one. I have a beautiful, healthy, wonderful four-year-old son who I'm, so grateful for. And if that's all we have, then, 
you know, I, I will, I will come to terms with that. And I, I know that sounds maybe sort of depressing, but I just feel like, you know, I'm constantly also comparing myself to other people and just trying to be grateful for what I have. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited to talk to you just because I actually am very curious, like a lot about your background and what, <laughs> what, yeah, what led you to investigate the, the child care crisis that we're in and, and first kind of explain, well, yes, first explain your background, but also what exactly the child care crisis is at the moment. I am a reporter. I've been a reporter my entire career. I was very lucky to stay at ABC News for, gosh, I think it was 22 years. I I left last March. Yeah. And I was based in New York. Uh, I was actually initially based in DC and then New York. And I was at the United Nations and London and all over the Middle East and Europe and Africa a bit. So really kept things fresh for me. I think the news industry does a good job, if you're lucky, at keeping you engaged with new stories, right? All the time, all the time there was somewhere to go and there was a sense of urgency Mm -hmm. and a sense of importance, right? Which we all want a little bit in in different doses, urgency and importance at our place of work. I became known for covering a whole host of things, but eventually I really broke through at ABC News covering long form investigative pieces. So pieces that would take, you know, in some cases a month, in some cases years to do and redo and update and uncover. And some of the most exciting times in my career were also times when like my heart almost stopped, you know, whether I can't it was even imagine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um So everything was good. And then COVID happened. And that was very devastating for so many. And in the news business, right, the news had to go on, but they were doing things like sending young producers into embed in hospitals. And they were really cutting down on correspondence. And I could just tell, A, it didn't feel right to me anymore in the news business before COVID because I had done so much Mm -hmm. and B with children and what was happening at work. It just felt like not a good idea to even raise my hand. And Whitney, I was always raising my hand. I was always send me, send me like, I mean, even it's so crazy to me to think about even having three kids that you were still like at the forefront and having the motivation and wanting to go like that to me is incredible in and of itself. I mean, it was, you get into this business and you kind of can't stop, but I Uh do remember I would do good morning America on the weekends a lot. Uh And I would uh be in hair and makeup full, like basically like a a nice cocktail dress right, (laughs) (laughs) with like a blowout, my whole face done to the nines. And I would leave the office at like eight o'clock in the morning, maybe eight 30 and head to my son's basketball game. Yeah. And I'd march in there and we were sort of new to DC at the time. 
and like the bubble above my head was like, what is it with you people? Like, this is a basketball game. Let's put some effort into it. Like everybody needs to dress up, you know, like <laughs> get out of your yoga pants. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but you were, you were yeah. in your little cocktail dress, yeah, like was full like, glam. On. And the other moms are probably like, who is this? Woman? <laughs> I, know. I know. Um, and I would laugh about it, but eventually I think the, you know, the job of being a mother, yeah, I, I felt very compromised. I felt like I was not doing anything to my full capability. And that yeah. mindset is not the right mindset to have. Uh-uh. And it's pretty internally for me, like bit by bit devastating to just be living every, every moment of every day, feeling like you weren't doing a good job. Right. Right. Like, and sometimes I was doing a pretty shitty job. Like really sometimes I was, somebody was, I mean, I remember going to cover a tsunami and my son was, I was trying to potty train him. Yeah. And I was like, how do I go to a different country, cover a tsunami and potty train him at the same time? <laughs> like, how is that going to work? And like, what did you tell yourself in those moments? Because I, I get that. It's like, I mean, part of this huge childcare crisis that we'll get into is also the fact that moms, wherever they are, whether it's at home with their kids or at work, like never fully feeling like they're where they're supposed to be. And that's no way to live. Like how, how did you deal with that? Yeah, it's, well, it is, it is no way to live. And fast forward to me thinking, okay, what do I really love? I really love long form storytelling. Uh uh And this project came across my desk. They were looking for a host. I had a long time to look into the company. I think I had an interview 10 days down the road. So I listened to everything that Lemonada had produced. It's run by two working moms who are fantastic, Stephanie Littleswax and Jessica Cordova Kramer. And one of their first podcasts was called Last Day, and it's about the opioid crisis in this country. And it was told with such vulnerability. I was in tears. The host, Stephanie, was often in tears. She, like your podcast, took us with her as she discovered things that were just incredibly revealing things she didn't know before. We learned with her as she went through the show. And I thought that is such a different muscle than network news. I mean, you give me a hurricane and tell me the show's on in an hour and you will have a minute 30 and I will be flawless and concise and you will have the story. This is a totally different muscle. This was, and I I actually didn't know that when when I got into it, but what I did know when I went into the interview And I'm 47 years old. And what I will tell you is compounded with, I'm not doing anything well enough, is this needling, like, is this it? Like, I thought I was solely qualified to only do network news. Right. I mean, I really believed that. Like, what else could I possibly do with that? And when I went into the interview and had this incredible conversation and and heard about the story, I felt, I felt very comfortable and very in control. And the story that Lemonada had was brought to them by a nonprofit called Neighborhood Villages based in Boston. And it's run by, again, two working mothers, uh, Sarah Muncie and a woman named Lauren Kennedy. And they're both wonderful. And what what that nonprofit does 
is it seeks to fix the child care crisis in this country. So how do you go about doing that? And they're both incredibly talented, incredibly smart, very well-educated women. And do you create a new child care center? They determine that, no, you don't. What you do is you go in and you figure out what do they need? Because right. the child care industry is crunched and we can get way into that and we do in the show. But yeah. they came to Lemonada and said, how about we do a show about the childcare crisis in this country? Lemonada has become known for taking really hard topics and diving into them. And they thought it was a good idea. They decided to go forward with the project and they needed a host. And yeah. lucky me, they gave me a shot. Wow. Incredible. So how long have you been doing that? We went into production on the show in February and it launched in May. And uh, we've done a bonus episode or two since then. And very soon, I'm hoping there'll be more news on that front. So <laughs> you'll be the first to know. <laughs> okay. And now a word from one of our sponsors. A lot of my life is spent looking at screens, reading emails, writing copy, editing content, watching TV with my husband, etc. So when I want to wind down, I try my best to do something that doesn't really require a screen or even much action from my eyes at all. I'm really starting to feel that strain. I can physically feel it right now. I love Audible. I'm so excited to use it on our trip. It's been a go-to for me for self-care, whether it be listening while on a hike or laying outside, sitting on a plane, sitting on a beach. It is a great resource to fall away from stressful distractions. I now want to get Sunny involved in my listening. His bedtime routine has been dinner, bath, brush teeth, then gather in bed for storytime magic with Audible. They actually have imaginative, heartwarming, and festive stories, original podcasts, and more brought to life by incredible performers. They even have brand new Audible originals like The Cinnamon Bear and exclusives like The Christmas Pig by J.K. Rowling. Sunny has been loving The Cinnamon Bear and I am so grateful that it keeps his attention focused on winding down and less on any other kind of distraction that he can come up with to avoid getting into bed. So for those of you with older kids also, they have modern classics like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and so many more all-time favorites. Now's the time to listen together. Go to audible.com slash listen together. That's audible.com slash listen together. Listen now only from Audible. And now back to our chat. Explain to me then right now, what is the state of the childcare crisis? Because it's it's really interesting to me because I'm actually an investor and work with Chriselle Lim, who started Bumo. And mm -hmm. Bumo originally was supposed to be a childcare center that would be based in big kind of like Fortune 500 companies so that employees could bring their kids to work and have daycare while they were obviously working and they could check in on them and be more present. And then COVID hit and people weren't going into the office. And obviously a lot of companies were not forcing their employees back into the office. So they're now opening different centers, whether it's like at Westfield or switching to digital learning. But I'm, you know, I know a little bit, obviously, and, and just from being a mom myself about how how difficult it is in this day and age to provide for your family and to be a mother. But you obviously know more of the details. So like, what is it? What does it look like right yeah. now? I mean, can we swear on this podcast? Yes. I to, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a shit show. It's a shit show. 
Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, even recently, the U.S. Treasury Department in advocating for Biden's Build Back Better plan, mm-hmm. they termed it unworkable. That was the term, unworkable. Oh my God. And I was like, yeah, it's unworkable. Like, thank you. What it looks like now is that you have a whole variety of options, right? None of them work for everyone, right? If you are lucky, like me, you can hire, right? You can hire someone to come into your home or take your children to a place that you feel good about, right? That's one yes. thing Like you want it. You want to feel good about where you're dropping your kids off. Mm-hmm. By the way, it drives me absolutely insane that there are some members of the news industry on the far right who describe it as basically you're like finding a stranger to take care of your child. Like you're just dropping your kid off with a stranger. So people really don't get it. But what the childcare crisis in the U.S. looks like right now is that it is incredibly complicated. It is very expensive. So you will pay more than your mortgage in many, many cases for decent childcare. Now it's not accessible. So you just mentioned the idea of somebody providing childcare in the building where you work. Right now, what a lot of mothers we spoke with say is, okay, I found a center that I I feel pretty good about. It's an hour and a half commute from my place of work. Oh my gosh. And then if it's not an hour and a half, say it's 45 minutes, but you can get the picture. It's it's yeah. makes it very difficult to make it work with your life. So if you're lucky enough to find somewhere and childcare has become kind of a catch-all phrase, Really, it's early education. That's what is in Biden's plan, which is pre-K for three and four-year-olds. And then there's also a lot of centers like the ones Neighborhood Villages supports. You know, they will have babies in there. They're changing diapers. They're doing it all. They're following nap time routines, you know. Yeah. That's for tiny, tiny babies. So yeah. it's it's a catch-all phrase. But the points that we are really missing in this country are accessibility. How far is this place from your place of work? Quality. What is the quality? And accessibility, quality, and something you feel good about. Some, some place that you trust with your children's lives. I mean, that's really what you're, you want, right? You want to have a place that you feel would do anything for your child. Right. And somewhat affordable too. Yes. And affordable. Yes. You're yeah. right. That was the last one. Accessibility, yeah. affordability, and, and, and quality. You feel really good yeah. about. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's so difficult. It's like my sister who works actually at Dear Media, the production company that produces this podcast, had a baby February of 2020. And she 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 was working from home for that first year, but then had to go back to work and was telling me, she was like, oh my God, I think I'm going to have to send uh, Wolf to daycare and like started tearing up. And I was like, what, why are you tearing up? Like, what's wrong with that? And she's like, well, I just never thought I would send him to daycare. Like I thought that I would be having someone in the house or there was like this, also this stigma for a working woman to send their kid to daycare, which I Mm. could not even believe. Yeah. Which, which made me really sad because it's just like, 
no one should be judged for what they have to do for their children. And obviously she found an amazing place. The judgment for it too is so, is so silly. Yeah. And the judgment exists in this country. It does. It's, it's really hard. We had, we were so lucky to have Kristen Bell participate in the podcast and she's just so brilliant and lovely. And I remember a production meeting in which we were really just starting to try to figure out how are we going to, you know, use her in the show? Like what, was her role going to be? And we ended up figuring out in our, one of the first episodes we did, there's this little kid obsessed with the song from Frozen. I can't believe. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I can't, I was like, I can't believe I'm forgetting it right now. Yeah. I have a four-year-old. So it's in, it's on in the house (laughs) all the time. Right. So he's just like obsessed with let it go. And, um, and his dad was kindly recording their commute to their Ellis Early Learning, which is their their daycare, their early education childhood care center. And and it came to us. We were like, oh my gosh, we should have Kristen Bell talk to this little boy, Leah. And you know, the girl that actually sings Frozen or sings Let It Go. So what Kristen did in that first episode, that first show and the whole series, it's a limited series. It's only four episodes. So it's very easy to put your earbuds in and listen to it. But she goes through what is available and she talks about, you know, the, you know, highest, highest end, which is a nanny who like, what games do you want to play? And I'm going to come to your house. And what are your favorite snacks? And oh, should yeah. we have a play date? Just this totally bespoke, idyllic option, which like very few people can afford. So there's that. And then there is um, this whole matrix of if you get into an early education program, and I live in Washington, D.C., and we really pride ourselves on universal pre-K. And I, uh-huh. my daughter is six, but we didn't get into, quote unquote, universal pre-K. Like it was a lottery and her name really? was called. Yeah. yeah. So she didn't have anywhere to go when she was old enough to go to pre-K. That, so I mean, that's it, what we're going to deal with too, probably. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we want to go to the charter school in our area, but it's the same thing. It's mm-hmm. a lottery. Yeah. It's a lottery. Yeah. So yeah. we talked to a lot of mothers who, I mean, I should say mostly it's women, but it's fathers as well. But when they describe to me how they get their child into one of these programs, okay, first you have to, at first it varies state to state. So all states have different rules and regulations about subsidies, right? How much are we going to charge you? to send your child here. And when you apply for a subsidy, you have to show where you're working and what you're earning. And then the state can come back to you and say, okay, based on that, we think you should pay X. And then you got to get X together and pay, but you have to keep reapplying. So you have to keep up that application process over and over. And if you change jobs, you have to report that. And if you, if your hours are cut, then you have to report that because you're going to need more money. I mean, the headache that creates for these parents just trying to get their kids into a decent place is debilitating. And that's why when we released the podcast, it was May. So we were well into the pandemic and mothers and fathers were going bananas. They could not take it. And I think the show really hit a nerve there because when you're at that breaking point and you then present the option of, oh, well, what if it was like in Quebec or if you worked at Patagonia or if you were in Germany where every neighborhood or your place of work like Patagonia provides high quality, good, accessible childcare that's affordable. Right. Like what right. would that be like for right. you? 
And it was like, well, that would never happen. And it would never happen because this country is so messed up. Right. So that's, that's the thing is like, that's what I was going to ask is what is, what is the solution to all this? Like, what does it look like in Quebec? What does it look like in Pat- Patagonia? Like yeah. what, like, looks really good. Yeah. And, really and good. what does it look like and why, what, why can't we get there? What are the things that are stopping us from getting there? Well, what it looks like in, let's say Quebec in 1996, uh-huh. a bunch of very smart people in a pretty small province in Canada, but proposed and it was passed basically universal childcare. So the, they started out charging parents $5 a day. And now uh-huh. I think it's $8 a day oh my and God. they did all the things, you know, high quality teachers, clean spaces, caring environment, all of it. It was like really good from the get-go. What uh-huh. they saw there and this is the same thing that they see in most countries that provide something similar is a rise in women rejoining or staying in the workforce, right? Yeah. So no women being like, I just chose to stay at home because it was easier. And by the way, I'm one of those parents that hats off. It's the hardest job in the world. I need yeah. to go to work. I need, right. I need, I need to go to work, but um, they saw more people in the workforce, which contributed to the taxes and the GDP, there were, the data is there. All the economic benefits are real. And of course they would be. We have all the data on the other side for kids. We know how good it is for kids when their brains are so spongy. You have a four-year-old son, right? Right. He's taking everything in. He's taking it all in. That's why they say kids should learn foreign languages when they're little, because it gets in there and it doesn't leave. It's there. So they're taking that and everything in the data shows that kids who have good early education are more likely to graduate from high school, more likely to go on to further education, more likely to join and stay in the workforce. I mean, the good benefits just pour back at you. Um, so this, yeah, this little Quebec is like, yeah, we figured it out. Same thing in Berlin. We have in the show, we talked to an American couple that moved to Berlin and it's called Kita is the sort of colloquial term for it. Uh And in Uh every neighborhood, every neighborhood, there are at least two, sometimes three centers run by social workers for children. You can also get, this is in the show. She's like, you can actually, you can get therapy there too, if you need it. Like your kid, you can go in for a therapy appointment, but it's, (laughs) it's like a center to support everyone in the neighborhood, which is really tied to historically how different cultures have reacted to babies being born. Mm -hmm. It's not just, I mean, in the States, I had a baby shower. I got lots of lovely stuff Mm -hmm. and I had all this stuff, but once the baby was born, like very few people would come over. I, I mean, I remember having to pack for our first trip and I called my, my, good mate in tears. And she came over and I was like, I just need someone to hold the baby. Like, right. You just need somebody to hold the baby. And that, that really means like in every sense of the word, hold the baby. And that's really holding you as a parent too. We pay all this money in taxes that we don't exactly know where it goes, right? Like there are these people that decide where the taxes go. And I have said, I have, I have very, very, very little experience. I have zero experience in politics or really know anything about what I'm talking about. But I've, I've thought, wouldn't it empower us a little bit more if let's say we could choose where 
10% of the taxes that we pay goes so that a couple could go to building schools in our, our neighborhood. A couple could go to, you know, funding the homeless issues that Mm -hmm. we have in Los Angeles. Like, I just don't understand why we have such little power in where our, our money goes. It's, and I, I just want to know what we can do to help so that we can mirror some of these places that have it figured out. Well, first of all, you have to care about it. And I can hear yeah. your voice that you do. And I yeah. also hear you say, like, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. And, yeah. And that's a part of this as well. Like I, and you hear that in the show, I'm like, I do not understand why this is the way that it is. And I think my best answer to that, because I think a lot of listeners would, would, would want to know, like, how did we get into this mess? Like, how did this happen? And I think it happened in two main sort of buckets, right? The first is that it's the way that this country values women as, as mothers and yeah. men as fathers, right? Both yeah. equally. Like, what is that worth to me as an employer or me as, as a citizen, Right. And it goes back to, you know, sort of getting into the history of a very diverse array of topics, including the slave trade, when it was okay to separate children from mothers and sell sell both to different owners. I mean, the horrific legacy that we live with from that is directly related to how we value the parent-child bond. So something went seriously off somewhere along the way and never recovered. It just never recovered. The second thing is that this country knows how to do this. And in the second world war, I did not know this. And it just astounded me in the second world war. Someone somewhere was like, Oh, women are really going to need to work because all the men are going to be off to war. Well, if women are going to need to work and we're going to need to rely on them because you know, we're at war, uh, we're going to have to take care of their kids. And so all over this country, very smart people. I mean, listen, some of these centers were in church basements. Others were in, you know, brand new buildings, but good, high quality, accessible childcare popped up all over the country during the war, the second world war. And Eleanor Roosevelt had a column in the newspaper at the time, and she wrote about how important it was to keep those centers going. I mean, and they were sort of like Patagonia in which they did things my favorite story was a woman would come home from her job, uh, you know, for the war effort, making war machinery. And she would be presented with a warm meal for her family. Cause like, God forbid, she's worked a long day. She's right. picking up her child. She needs a warm meal to go right. home. And, you know, yeah. like everything was thought of for these women to, to enable them to work. And so the country's done it. And when the war ended, all of those centers were shut down. They were closed. Mm. They were closed and that was it. And it, and it was like, well, women need to go back into the home because men are back from the war and they're going to need to go out and work. And it was like, we just didn't get it. And that was right. like, not so, so long ago. It was just like very cut and dry. It was yeah. just like this. Now we've empowered these women. We mm-hmm. don't even, we're not even going to try to think about what it's done to them, how it's helped them, how it supported them. We're just going to take it away from them. Or what it felt like, right? Yeah. Like to do something that was important and valued and urgent. Yeah. Right. Like they yeah. didn't, those women who went home, they didn't have that sense of accomplishment that you and I 
share in that in, in our workplace, yeah. from our workplace and it's from so what true. we're doing. Yeah. Um, so they're demoralized. It was just more, more shit in the shit show. It was not. <laughs> so, okay. So, so then bad. we, right. So we, ne- we kind of just went backwards. We, we yeah. like took a couple steps forward and then we went backwards and we've kind of then been just kind of existing since then. And I think also for me, it feels like it has to do with the physical responsibility of women. Like it's like women are the ones that get pregnant, have the babies and have to breastfeed. So it's like, it becomes their problem. It's like, you guys figure it out. You are the ones that have to deal with this. So you, it's just like a lack of support. And I kind of am feeling this a little bit resentment towards, it's not towards my husband, but it just has brought something up for me. I was thinking this morning, like we're about to go on this fertility journey, right? We're about, we've had three miscarriages, a chemical pregnancy. And my doctor says it's time to look into IVF. So last night I was talking to Timmy and he's like, so what's the plan? And I'm like, Mm. well, what, what do you like? I guess I have to call the doctor. I have to make the appointments. I have to now do the, the legwork to like make this plan happen. Cause it's my body. It's my, like no one else can do this for me. So I guess I have to do it. And that is also, I feel resentful and handicapped because of, you know, like it's a gift obviously that we're able to have kids, but it's also just like, where is the help? Where is the leadership? Like, can someone else take this off my plate? And it just, because they don't have to deal with it, they just don't feel the responsibility. And it's, it is upsetting, but it's like, it's, it's just that the men, they can't get involved as much as we can because they just don't feel the physical responsibility. Do you feel like that is... It goes back to how we value mothers. Yeah. Right. And I mean, we could have a whole nother show on on that whole topic, but it's, it's about, I think the onus is on women to express and clearly communicate what they need. Yeah. Right. And so someone very, very smart who would not let me use her name here in Washington, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a a leap of faith and just promise you that you would love her. Yeah. Said to me. We need to, and and because it's DC, I ran into this person at a little league game. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so in in you know in California, you run into like movie stars at, at little league games. Here it's here it's politicians. Yeah. Um, and she was like, "Listen, childcare is really infrastructure. Infrastructure mm-hmm. is how we get to where we need to go. Mm-hmm. It's a road. It's a bridge. It's childcare. Mm-hmm. I mean, childcare is like sort of uh, you know." can be compared to a bridge because it's the bridge that's helping you get to work. Right. 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 But it's this idea that this concept of childcare or the concept of fertility is a shared responsibility, right? Whether or not, you know, you're birthing the baby, whether or not you're taking the child to childcare and then going on to your job, it's, it's this idea of what is the onus Mm-hmm. And it's tricky, you know, parenting is tricky. Getting pregnant is super tricky. Like, and, and who shares in that onus? Right. And it's up to us also to ask for help too, yeah. because that's the thing is that if I said to my husband, listen, 
I'm really overwhelmed by doing all this research, finding the right doctors. Can you help me a little bit? Like, can you support me in some way? Can you check in on me and make sure that I've done certain things? Like he would be there to help. I'm lucky that I have that. Not everybody does have that, but it is, like you said, the onus is on us also to ask for a little bit of help. That brings me to what specifically can any, can me, can anybody listening like do to help or what resources can you share to get more information to, to assist in, in just building a better foundation for childcare? Yeah. I mean, we are, so I am an optimist and we are at a super exciting time in this country right? Yes, because yes. for the first That's time- That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I love that. You've got to be positive. <laughs> um, we are at a, a really interesting and supercharged time because for the first time in 50 years, there is a comprehensive child development proposal in Biden, President Biden's Build Back Better proposal, right? Okay, and it's amazing. it's passed. It'll, things will get changed. It's It's not law yet. Mm-hmm. But way back when Nixon was president, a guy by the name of Walter Mondale, uh, who was, oh, I'm going to mess this up, governor of somewhere incredible in the Midwest, <laughs> so I'm not That's remembering not right now, um, <laughs> but Mondale proposed this act because he wanted to do something radical. He knew that America didn't have good child care. It's, it's essentially what Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, which she would advocate more for mm-hmm. today, but it would have done it all. It would have, we would have been Patagonia. We would have been Quebec. We would have mm-hmm. been Berlin. We would have had it all. Mm-hmm. And legend has it, DC political legend has it, that the White House, Nixon's White House had two speeches written. One Praising the law's passage, right? One saying like, woohoo, we did it. And the other explaining why it wasn't a good idea. And that's the one he went with because at the last minute, President Nixon vetoed the child development proposals on his desk. And by the way, he was bullied by Ronald Reagan. So right. now, when, now whenever I fly out of Ronald Reagan airport, I'm like, ah, damn airport. Yeah, um, <laughs> damn you. <laughs> I know. But we have essentially the, the crux of that proposal in Biden's huge, expansive, my, my friend, Lauren Kennedy from Neighborhood Villages calls it the big opportunity, but yeah. we call it, you know, social, it's that second infrastructure package. It's not the, like the one that's costless. It's the bigger one that's for a whole host of things like climate change and childcare and, you know, very comprehensive. So it is, it, that is for me, what's exciting right now is that people are talking about childcare. You, know, you turn on television like my friend who covers the White House has done, you know, five, six, seven pieces on childcare. Like it is in the conversation. And what needs to happen is, I mean, this is where I'm not such an optimist, but I think that anybody, if you live somewhere, first off, do you identify yourself as a childcare voter? Do you know how your local politicians feel about it? Do you know how your state representatives feel about it? Do you know how your senator governor feels about it? I am very embarrassed to say I did not. Now I live in DC where we don't really have, you know, a concrete vote, but I'm from Seattle, Washington. And, you know, I, I was like, oh my God, I've missed this train. I have a 13 year old son. So first of all, you know, figure out who you are politically on that issue. Second of all, and this can all be done online, you know, figure out who it is to call and you know, lobby to say, I'm a childcare voter because 
your vote is your power, right? As, as an American citizen and you're a politician, you want my vote and you're only going to get it if you support comprehensive childcare in this country. So you got to figure out like how to get that message to your senator, your governor, whoever it is. Right. To figure out, okay, like if, if Kristen Cinema was my senator and I lived in Arizona, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Can you just say how you feel about this? Like, like, why are you, this is like keeping me up at night. And, and it really is. It's, you know, I spoke to women who are highly educated, uh, university degrees, college degrees, master's degrees, and they work in early childcare and they are leaving the profession because we don't pay childcare workers enough money, right? They can make more and have healthcare working at Starbucks. Right. You know, they can, or driving a bus, both of those industry, the food industry, the transportation industry, amazing industries. But the point is they're leaving where their heart is because they can't afford to stay there. They can't afford it. Right. So we got to put more money into it. And I like the idea that like different companies are providing it for their employees. But I have to tell you, you know, I worked for Disney, which owns ABC for a long time. You know, at the time I had my first kid in, in the employee manual, you know, that my, my benefits, there was no, like, I didn't apply to take a maternity leave. It, it fell under disability. Oh my goodness. Like I was not able to do my job. Mm-hmm. I am pretty sure they've changed that by now because yeah. I have a lot of colleagues that say like, oh, I'm so lucky to work here. But like my son was born in 2008 and, and I took a disability leave. That's crazy. I mean, at, at a company that, you know, is all about kids. Right, right. So right. things have to change to, to make parents feel like having a child is a good thing. And it's yes. going to be good for their job and good yes. for their life and good and for their community. Happy, right. A happy, yeah. exciting thing and not such a fearful, yeah. stress-inducing thing that they don't know how they're going to balance. Because right. that is what I think many, many parents, no matter how much money they have, are thinking that. The other thing I will say about what you can do as a listener, in, in the childcare business, there's also um, family-owned, right? So there's women-owned family home care situations, right? Like you find a person in your neighborhood who looks after children and, and that is a woman-owned woohoo, small business, right? So we're supporting them when we support childcare. And sometimes that's, that's what will make the most sense for you. Like it's close to where you live. Oftentimes there's very, very niche expertise that those places can offer children. So there's so many benefits to supporting it. And right now, I mean, I like COVID must have been, I mean, first of all, it was horrific in every sense of the word in, in every, you know, in so many areas, but particularly on childcare, so many places closed down, you know, as they should have to be safe. But what happened was when other businesses started reemerging, many of the childcare centers did not, they just, they couldn't afford to. So we really have to think about it as supporting small business owners who are women and supporting our kids, you know? Tell everybody where we can find you, where we can listen to your podcast. Sure. So the podcast is called No One Is Coming To Save Us. Very uplifting title, but I am an optimist and I think we're going to get there. I really do. 
Yes. Um, and you can find it anywhere you listen to your podcast. And there's a Facebook group that's uh, under No One Is Coming to Save Us. It's open. Please join it. Get involved in the conversation. I find a lot of motivation from that group. And uh, yeah, call your local representative. Make sure you know what their politics are on childcare so that you yes. can share them. Amazing. Thank you so much, Gloria. It's such an honor to chat with you. And I'm so excited for this podcast to come out, but I appreciate your time greatly. Thank you too. And you have a new listener in me. Now I'm a fan of With Wit, so I'll be listening. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you so much. Have (laughs) a wonderful day. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or even less you'd want to hear about. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney Eve Port, my website, WhitneyPort.com, and my YouTube channel, Whitney Port. Peace in the streets.